Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Are we on? Uh, is, this, we are on. is this working? We are on. Yep. Benvenuti alle cose cattoliche. Cose cattoliche. So we are uh, rolling here. Get the mic situated. Welcome to the podcast. We're down in water because we are sun poisoned. As we mentioned in the last one, that's probably poisoned true. by a number of things, but sun as of recent. I mean, what happened? I just feel kind of zombie. Oh, yeah, I think we're just—it's hard to know, you know, kind of in zombie mode what right now. What if the zombie apocalypse happens because everybody gets sun poisoned? <laughs> now that's interesting. My cousin, my cousin is an eye doctor. Uh-huh. Hey, what's up, Brandon? Shout out. Uh, he, when he was in Rome, he was telling me, "Okay, Mike." I think, you know, you're doing great with life. I'm very happy about everything. But I've got one gripe. You're not wearing sunglasses. Do you know what the most dangerous thing in the world is? The sun. It's going to burn your eyes. Yeah. It's gonna me- I'm kind of like, well, of all things, there's a, lot of <laughs> there's a lot of things to be worried about in life. But anyway. I, th- I think that's a good cousin, though. He's worried about your eyes. Doesn't, don't, don't your eyeballs hurt, though, when you're out in the sun all day? Well, I had sunglasses. Oh, you did? But just not good ones. Yeah, we rode we rode all the way to Castel Gandolfo with uh, Katie and Jordan, who had never it. never ridden road bikes. Road bikes, ridiculous. They were all like, "Oh, we've never really biked before, like more than a mile." It's just like we get back. How like far did we go? Forty five, forty five miles. Forty five miles. Three thousand five hundred feet of elevation gain. No problem. They didn't even look like they were sweating. No, they weren't. I was like, we do this every week, and we look like, like death. I think they brought some drugs from Colorado or something. I don't know what yeah, it was. They were, it must have been. They must have been juicing for sure. They are no. They're on intermittent fasting. Oh, intermittent fasting. <laughs> they do. They have. They have a special diet. We learned about this. Oh, there's some people listening to this nodding their heads now. The gospel of intermittent fasting. So we. This was new to us, you know, because I got Lebsock's voice in my head like Nepple. Within the first hour of every day, you got to get your glycogen storages up. You got to eat something, and he would eat prunes and eggs and weird breakfast stuff, you know. But uh, intermittent fasting, nope, no breakfast, just a little coffee with butter. What do they? Yeah, put? it was like a coconut oil, coconut butter, oil and or butter, Ugh. organic butter, some good. And quality. then, and then you eat within an eight-hour period each day. Is that right? Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, somehow. Here's my problem. Maybe it's the butter that'll offset this thing. Um, that doesn't seem seem right, but I, I just start buzzing on coffee. Today oh, yeah. I drank too much coffee, right? Because I was, you know, it's Monday, trying to you know get back into the routine right. and everything. Sun poisoned. And my mind just starts going racing, and even my body. I had the shakes for mass. Shakes, yeah. About, you always have the shakes, but really I bad do. shakes. I have the shakes. Anybody else out there have the shakes? Yep. Yep. I don't know. People think it's a nervous thing. It's not a... I don't think it's a nervous thing. There's some Will Ferrell line, Daddy's got the shakes. I forget what that's <laughs> from. Daddy's got the shakes. Yeah, it, yeah. No, I, I mean, it runs in the family. I it's didn't notice it. I didn't notice it. Did you get that from Grandma Tilly or who? Yeah, that's Grandma Tilly. Really? That yeah, was just a it's guess. my dad's side. That's amazing. It's true. No, I mean, some of my other relatives do. Hey, well, I'm talking about how amazing I, mean, I am. You're, you're very impressive, but it's like <laughs> kind of a 50-50 thing here. <laughs> it's either Grandma Mary or Grandma Tilly. Took a guess and lucked out. I wish you I had that much it. luck. And craps, every time my brother and I would walk into a casino, he'd put 50 down on red, I'd put 50 on black or whatever, and 
Is it? Is that craps? I don't even know which game is I that? was going to say backgammon is roulette. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Oh I don't boy. know. I don't know anything. Oh boy. We don't go to casinos that often, so you know. That's true. I'm I'm a terrible gambler. I just lose money. I don't we, and I don't enjoy it. We did we did have a priest friend though who got so good and was winning so often. Yeah. He, he eventually got he kind of freaked out and said, uh, this is not I don't think this is of God. He's just said that's it. Yeah. I'm making too much money. Right. <laughs> He's like, maybe the only guy in the world, but possibly the only guy in the world to say that, but no, yeah, good. Good for him, you know. So Yeah, I think it's yeah, probably the right thing to do if you get yep. that feeling. We're not that lucky, Mike. Hate to tell you that. We're here in Rome, sun poisoned. <laughs> kind of burned but we're head, out. Headed burned back out. to but headed we're back heading, to Colorado before we're back long. to sweet Colorado. Oh my, I cannot wait. Yeah, it's really exciting. Ten days. I feel that too. We're gonna be on a plane in ten days on the fourteenth of June. You got the final exam with your Greek students. I got my I gotta defense. stuff myself with pasta. Can I just vent for a second? So I wrote this 140-page thesis, turned it in, was very happy with it. You know, everybody's like, whoa. Everybody who's not in our little world was like, that is so amazing. And I'm like, thanks. I know it's it amazing. Was good. It was, it was amazing. You. But I, I mean, I'm, I'm, amazing. Af- I'm afraid. Amazing. I'm, ra- I'm afraid to read it, though, because I know I'm going to find typos. Yeah. And no, then, I, look, it's like, it's like listening to yourself on the Oh, on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, you don't like you to. say, oh, what is that? Oh, no. And then I uh, know certain people that will pride themselves in finding mistakes. And one of them is none other than Father Evan Koop, who will get a sick, sick joy out of it. And he, I gave him a copy, and he said, thank you. I look forward to reading it. Finds a typo in the first sentence. <laughs> He said, John, exacerbated is not a word. <laughs> you combine three different words into one. And I was like, I'm going to put a knife in your chest right now. And he's like, <laughs> I found uh, one too. Ugh. Page 10. Page 10. And I checked it too. And oh, it is, gosh. I'm pretty sure it's. Now, well, come on. You just got bad friends. I got bad you had friends. A great project and bad friends. <laughs> I got a great project and you bad friends. Re- no, I, what I need is like a super, super, super OCD. I'm putting a request out here for the for the dissertation. Just like a super OCD grammatical person. Proofreader. Because you read, I reread, 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 and somehow exacerbated did not make it into. At least I didn't say things like um, uh, Audrey Panur or something like that. You know, <laughs> so I do kind of. You know, play with these words you make a little up bit. Words, but that's fun. Yeah, I, that's a good, that's a sign of a good author. Yeah, thank you, thank you. You know who else did that? Heidegger. Yeah, <laughs> that's true too. He's a great, great thinker. <laughs> I was thinking of Saint Paul. Oh, Saint Paul. Yeah, that's good. A lot of wordsmiths. Yeah, there you M&M go. Eminem too. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm in the company of greatness. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, speaking of going back to Denver. It means I'm going to miss the wedding of my buddy Mark Archer. So I wanted uh, to shout out. I know he Scotland. listens to the show or has in the past. So he's, yeah, he's going out to Scotland, marry the girl of his dreams. You know where in Scotland? I don't. It's no, not I, Glasgow. I don't no, it could have been anywhere. I don't know. Glencoe. It. it could be at the top of Ben Nevis. Ben Nevis. Ben Nervous. They're going to have. Uh, Make Haggis. sure you don't make sure you don't say it as Haggis? Glasgow. That that one will take Joe McGill. Throw them into a Glasgow. fit when Americans say, Gla- oh, you're from Glasgow. Say something in Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> That's when he just puts on his kilt and, you know, I don't know, <laughs> yeah. goes after the English or something. So, 
Joe McGill, we love you. Surly people, but she seems <laughs> wonderful. So, so he's marrying a Scottish girl. This is yeah. not a destination wedding. No, Carolyn is. Um, well, I haven't met. Her, I haven't met her yet, but the uh, the news has all been good. I mean, Mark has been bragging to me and bragging to me, and I'm. Very sorry to miss it, but... Um, He's a buddy, Regis buddy, high school? Yeah, Regis buddy. He Mark. went to St. Thomas More with me. Oh, uh, yeah. We've been friends for a long time, and a lot of the crew's going to be out there. Matt Cook, Dan Seleski. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're Phil missing Phil Wong's it. in the wedding party. Uh, Eamon McCann's in the wedding party. Oh, uh, man. This is going to be quite, yeah. the, quite the session. So, yeah, I'm sorry to miss you guys. I'm going back to Denver for an ordination of Buddy's father. Yes. To the permanent diaconate. Daryl Nepple's getting ordained, so... Well, he appreciates that, so... These things come along, so we'll celebrate. When you guys get back in Denver, or I come through Scotland... Or St. Louis. We will ce- we will celebrate. That's good. Are they going to stay in Scotland, or are they going to come back to the States? Uh, I don't know that part yet. Yeah. Look forward to finding out. Check it out on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> That's where he gets uh, all his info. <laughs> yeah, people stay in contact this way. Father Mike You're has making been on, fun. He's, but I make it fun. Father Mike's real. been on it, and I prefer the Facebook to the email. Father Mike gets on an email bender about every four or five months, and he just like rocks it. And he's in he's in one right now. So well, hates his life, but he's he's doing it. No, I yeah, I get a day where I try to answer 150 of them, and then the next I don't know month, my goal is to answer three a day. Hey, and that's like ambitious for me, right? Not to let them pile up. Yeah. Okay. Boston, so, see. Anyway, an early shout-out. Oh, that's and, good. Good uh, early shout-out. Nice. Matt Archer. Mark. Mark Archer. <laughs> Mark Archer. We get a lot of names wrong, but... <laughs> Usually only during the shout-outs. What are you looking for? Your booze? No. Looking for my... Such a professional. Looking for my notes. Oh, there <laughs> it is. Can you grab that? I'll grab the notes. Okay. Say something. I did prepare some things for... <laughs> For the podcast tonight. All right, here's what you're going to get tonight. This is a very nerdy topic. Now, this is the end of the line in Rome. We're going back for summer to. I'm looking. Uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. He this gets to see like, my insanity. This looks like the Unabomber, the note that's oh, left. Oh, <laughs> man. My notes. All right. Here we are go, baby. Crazy. Okay, so, um, yeah, a little bit of a nerdy topic because I need to get this stuff out of my head. And it's a theme right now, you know? Can't, well, that's just what we do. We do just like a bunch of head stuff. I know. Okay? I know. Uh, so I want to talk about Roman imperial propaganda. Yes. <laughs> so it, some of it is just like, okay, language that helped to explain the incarnation, which was a profound mystery that is very hard to express. What's going on here? Yeah. And um, my theory is that this was, uh, God had planned the perfect time for God to become a human being, um, where there was all kinds of um, concepts, ideas, language to be able to express, even begin to express um, what was going on. And to make sense of it, enough for people to say, "I, I understand how profound this is, and I will live my life accordingly. Nice. Okay. I I got a little teaser of this today. Over coffee after lunch, and that was it was exciting. So here we go. I serious. Are you, do you say that sarcastic? No, I no, no, no. I'm not, being sar- I'm not being sarcastic. No, it's no. okay. Calm it was down. a classic. It was a classic post lunch coffee. No, where I just you were pro- you were giving me this like gold, and then I was like, I need to talk to you about the stupid drama in my life. And we were like, you were like, okay, fine. But 
So we won't talk about the drama, but no, when you do, I was actually enjoying it. When you do it. hours of research and then somebody asks you about it, then it's just like kind of an overwhelming blast. It's like the, the, the hose from the fire truck. And people just can't really, you know, think of it like take this. it in sips. Think of it like this. If I would have had another vocation, I'd be talking about somebody's Pinterest account and, you know, centerpieces at the next wedding, the next wedding reception or something like that. And so this is what you're it into. It could you be know? other things. Yeah. This is my buddy's into. This and is, <laughs> thank if, you. And I it's honestly nice would you. never have thought, you know, what was Augustus Caesar doing and did he appropriate the name? emperor to himself and what did that actually mean i learned that at lunch today yeah i gave him a lecture it was he good. was just done with classes it's good right. stuff fire away here we go okay so um, remember you gotta have a cool title after this just you know putting that out there well college kids are not they're time. already bored they're already gone one thing at a time okay they're gonna get that way they just right off the who was that there was some guy was asking uh if we could post the the point when we switch from banter mm-hmm. to we did that for like two. <laughs> and then we said, <laughs> no, podcasts. we're not going to do that anymore. Yep. Uh, okay. So here's the Roman thing. Roman imperial propaganda. Here's the thing. Even before Jesus was born, you had a lot of the terms that the, the Gospels pick up to explain who Jesus is. Um, it's difficult to know exactly how many of them Jesus used for himself to describe himself um, and how many the uh, the gospel writers used to um, explain to people who he was or to make sense of who he was. and In particular, Luke? or every, I studied everybody. Luke in particular, but Luke draws a lot of his language from earlier writers, like Mark. Okay. And um, maybe Q, if you're into that, and um, possibly Matthew, although that's more debated. Certainly Mark. So there's traditions going on that Luke picks up, but gotcha. I just want to talk about language that you probably be you probably recognize. Okay, cool. Okay, like gospel. What does gospel mean? Good news. Good news. Okay, this is classic like homily material. Right. People know this is good news, but it's got a particular political context, right? So what is that p- particular political context for Evangelion? The Greek gospel. Hmm, don't know. Do you know? Okay, so... Maybe like the Pax Romanum? Is that yeah, the good news? Yeah, it's something... It's like the... Okay, so when a, when a conqueror came into town um, and um, brought peace and order into a place that was unstable, okay, they would take over and then they would bring a new order to the, to the land, new law... Uh, stability of connection with a greater empire, something like this. And by conquer, you mean Rome, or yeah. was this Greek? Okay, was so this is Rome, but it, it actually the the concept existed before with before Gr- Rome, Greece, Greece, and probably had some um, analogous sort of language for other cultures before okay. that. Okay, so at the time of Jesus, this was the Roman Empire, right? Um, Augustus Caesar was um, was living um, was. The emperor, ah, that's technical. Um, that's kind of debated exactly what that meant. But he was the emperor at the time of the birth of Jesus. So um, as the Roman Empire expanded, uh, places would be incorporated into the Roman Empire, and then a, a herald would come to your town, or something would be written declaring the good news of the peace in that place, or the good news of... Um, the incorporation that Rome is now kind of your your sovereign. The the gospel. Yeah, this is the gospel. The gospel would. So be it's pr- the same word technically, 
Evangelion in Greek. Mm. The Greek was the common language for the empire. And uh, they're using this uh, evangelizing, comes from Evangelion. Question. Mm-hmm. Is there a Semitic root or a Old Testament root for Evangelion, or is it only Roman? That word, do we see that in the Old Testament, where they were expecting good news? So, or was that just a Roman propaganda thing that the gospel writers picked right, up no, and used? Technically, it's a Greek word. It comes from the Greek milieu. Um, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, does use the word evangelion and the verbal form evangelizomai um, in certain areas that seem like it's a technical phrase for the same concept. So um, in an eschatological framework, um, there's the idea that God is going to evangelize the world. The good news is coming. Um, it's often associated with the, the kingdom of God. Okay, so it, it has been used for Old Testament, but it doesn't really come from Hebrew, but it was translated before the New Testament. Gotcha. Okay, so New Testament writers might be appealing to the uh, Septuagint, Old Testament, for that language. So they're not necessarily saying, okay, I, I heard this word. It's not mutually exclusive. It in the be, popular culture. Right or from the pagans, or something like that, and then we're going to take that word, you know, right. So it's not mutually exclusive, but it does have a political um, context, right? It means peace is coming, order is coming to this place because of the rule of law, Hmm. um, most often. Okay, now in the Christian context, that means something a little bit different, but is related because the announcement of the good news of Jesus Christ was that a new king is here, the kingdom of God is here. There's a new order that brings the kind of stability that people are looking for, right? It brings, in, it brings peace. It brings mm-hmm. stability to, to society, okay? So that's evangelion or God. Can I ask another question? I'm sorry, I keep... No, that's good. Um, when the gospel writers are writing this, this is several decades after Augustus Caesar and the good news of a peaceful mm-hmm. empire... It's not peaceful, I'm guessing, under Claudius or Tiberius or these things. So are they like are they using the language against that, or is it kind of like still being used mm-hmm. forty, fifty years after Augustus, are they still using the language of Evangelion, or was that just proper to that that period? Right. So it it was part of uh political propaganda. In general. Um yeah. It, it, but it was throughout the empire. Now we have to distinguish when we're talking about the New Testament writings and even the Gospels about, well, what was their context? Where were they written? Who were they written to? And that's all like complicated right, exegetical right, right. questions. But um, when, we, when we're talking about the epistles of Paul, for example, you're in a context. Everything was written within the Roman imperial context. So whether you're talking about Asia Minor, Ephesus, um, if you're talking about... Um, Things in Greece, if you're talking about Rome. It's all. Yeah, imperial. we're all talking about the, the, the empire. Now, in Judea, in the time of Jesus, there was a lot of unrest with the relationship between those people and um, the Roman Empire. And there's, that's a complicated thing as well. The whole place was not Jews resented Romans, but there were times that were worse than others, and there was a lot of complicated politics mm-hmm. going on. So... Um, it's hard to, I think when you're saying, well, 
is this terminology being used because it's it makes sense of Jesus and his program as a king? Or is it being used to um, undermine it as subversive language against the Roman Empire? I think that has to be taken on like book by book or letter by letter. Okay. Uh, and we'll come kind of come back around to that. But Okay. Um, okay, that's one of them, the gospel. Um, another term that you had, you had used is the Pax Romana mm-hmm. of, uh, of Augustus. So there was an idea that was spread that Augustus, by um, conquering the, wor- the known world of the Mediterranean at that time and uh, establishing Roman law or uh, Roman order in certain places and keeping kind of civil unrest at bay and um, uh, marauding um, kingdoms on the periphery from attacking people within the Roman Empire... Uh, that there was a peace established. Mm. So there's talk of this world peace going on, the, 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 the peace of Rome, Pax Romana. And it was even represented as a god in Rome and distributed. Pax Romana. Yeah, Pax. Mm. Um, and often associated with this emperor, Augustus, mm. uh, who was kind of like the first. But then subsequent emperors, uh, there was a whole line of his dynasty or his, his children, um, his sons, who were uh, later emperors. And then um, pretty much every, um, every dynasty through the New Testament writing was using the same language. So it, even though it's Augustus, it's associated with Augustus starting a lot of this stuff. Right. Um, all of those emperors through the New Testament, up through the second Augustus, century. Augustus, his line went through Nero, is that right? Yep. So it, that would have been most of the writings. Right. So at 65, Nero died. And then you have uh, a series of... Kind of military, yeah, military um, emperors um, that come along. There's a a big, um, I don't know. There was like just kind of an unsettled um, uh, passing of power until Vespasian comes along, and then some of his sons rule for the next series of kings to the end of the century. Okay, so two big, I don't know, two big groups, two big dynasties. Okay, so. The language is, this is the peace of, um, of Augustus. But some of the gospel writers will use the same language, saying that Jesus and his kingdom is going to bring peace. You know, Think of the gloria, peace on earth, mm-hmm. glory in the highest, and peace to people of goodwill. This is the announcement. This is the gospel, is that there, this promises, this, the birth of this child, this kingdom that Jesus is bringing, is going to promise a peace that is... Um, Compared to that of Rome, that's just in Luke. That's just that's in Luke, but we use the same kind of problems of is there really peace in the world? And where's Luke writing from again? Oh. That's debated. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, there's a lot of theories. What's your theory? Oh, I think the tradition is that he's um, Syrian. Syrian. Uh, Antiochian, hmm. and I don't think there's a whole lot of reason to reject that. Although it's very hard to prove one way or the other. Yeah. But he is, he does, I do think he has a Semitic background and that he's very comfortable and has a good Greek education. So he's comfortable with Greek. I don't okay. think your professors listen to this podcast, so you're probably in the clear. Yeah. Well, I want to be accurate too. Yeah. You know? yeah. Good scholarship. Okay. So another um, piece of the imperial rhetoric is uh, soter. So they mm. would call 
the um, soter is the word for savior. Okay, so they would use this title, or this title was given to uh, particular Roman generals who uh, conquered a, a, a smaller place, some colony, and then incorporated it into the kingdom. So they would bring the good news, and then they would confer that town, that colony, or state, whatever it was, um, confers this title on their, on the one who saved them from the chaos of being outside of the empire. Is Soter the translation of Christos, or is that No, Christos else? is definitely Semitic, the anointed one. From Mishiach. Yeah, they don't use the same language in Roman. Yeah, but I'm just wondering, like, world. when Jerome translates the New oh, Testament no, 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 into no. Latin. No, 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 they'll use soter. Soter. Even in the Greek, you find soter. Oh, really? Yeah, referring to Jesus. Soter is Greek. Mm-hmm. Oh, my bad, yep. my bad. And then they they use the same word in Latin ah, okay. Sorry. to describe the, the emperors. Mm-hmm. So this this term goes back further than the, than the emperors as well. But it's uh, very common to refer to... Um, any military conquest that um, that I don't know wins over the people and then brings more stability to the area. So they're they're probably recognizing a real good, even even though it's a lot of p- political propaganda um, associated with the colonial policy of of imperial Rome. Okay, um, so then the question becomes. Um, is this guy really a savior, you know? Um, and with the comparison with Jesus, is like, well, what do we need salvation f- from? And how does salvation happen in the world? Um, is it as simple as people were threatened by the chaos of uh, rival powers within society, civil wars, unrest, um, instability, political instability, social instability, and uh, they just needed to be um, have economic opportunity and um, a civilized society or something like this. The dream of the of the empire. Okay. The last the last uh, term I want to use uh, or refer to is uh, son of God. That was another one that mm. Augustus was um, kind of prone to. He liked that title for himself. Um, his father. Julius, or his the father who adopted him, yeah. um, was raised to the status of a, a god. And they had this kind of fluid concept mm. of God. So it's not like he is the highest god or something. They have a lot of gods, and there's gods that are bigger than the human gods, even when they are uh, kind of raised to that um, title. But because Julius was made a god... Um, after after his death, you can only be made a god after your death. Then Augustus was called the son of God during his lifetime. Oh, I um, never thought about that. Yeah, Julius yeah. Caesar was. And Jesus raised. is born into a time when there was a the reigning son, of God, son was, of God, right? And people knew it. Wow. Um, so this term is appropriated by um, by the gospel writers, or makes sense of. Um, or, Make sense of who Jesus is and the message of the gospel writers in a time when there was an, a good analogy. You know, Here, here's another person, because you have antecedents to this concept too. Look at Psalm two. You know, this day I have begotten you. You are my son. God is speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, is probably written for David, and um, probably in an analogous way. They didn't think that David was actually a god or the son of God in a 
real physical way, but that there was some relation expressed. So mm. this has a tradition that goes way back, um, much, you know, precedes the Roman Empire um, a great deal. But um, it made sense in the context right. in which Jesus was born, where people were looking for a uh, son of God to be a savior. They were looking for a kingdom that meant the world was going to be at peace and in harmony. Okay. Now, okay, so you got all this language. And uh, the language helps, I think, in a particular way. I, I think this was a destined time. I think God actually looked at the world and said, yeah. this is the time, and that things had been prepared. I don't know how those graces happen exactly. Um, certainly, it's easier to trace with a, a consistent canon like the Old Testament. We can say, oh, God was preparing Abraham and Moses and all of the prophets and all of these things. Gave us the language to understand and the concepts to understand what if God was with us? Mm-hmm. What if God actually um, came into the world and, and walked with us? And um, that takes this combination, this wild combination of, uh, of history, of uh, Semitic revelation, of the, the Jewish revelation leading up to Jesus, of the context of Hellenistic thought and language, of this empirical reality of of a, a kingdom that's kind of spreading throughout that world. I think all of these things come together mm-hmm. to make for this perfect, yeah. um, I don't know, situation. And um, and that the, the New Testament writers were amazed by this. Right. I think people were they amazed. Yeah. And that brought a lot of attention to a character like Jesus who said, well, I'm, I'm the one. You know, I'm the one that everybody's waiting for. And he makes sense of this whole thing and says a kingdom of God is coming that is greater than all of your expectations. And then he shows them a different way. Okay, so this is one of the most dramatic differences, I think, in this comparison is that Roman rule and Roman peace came from the rule of power. Hmm. And it was, it was violent rule. If anybody breaks the law or threatens the kingdom, they're just crushed. And there was it, the Roman people were violent, and they were proud to be violent, in that they were uh, protecting people through their violence. And Jesus came with a, a different way. He, um, he he healed people. He preached a, a, a message of compassion, of forgiveness, of suffering, taking on one's own suffering, um, and then said turn the other cheek. And in the end, when he's being crucified, he says, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Instead of the, the peace will come to the world when all is conquered right. and, and settled. Um, so you have this, yeah, this, this rival proposal and it was very compelling. So compelling that tons of people followed this guy and said, we want you to be our king until he was killed. And then it all goes... You know, it all just falls apart. You know, he's crucified as a criminal, and um, all is lost until that point of resurrection. And that was like the proof that Rome could never have. Mm. No one came back from the dead. Julius never came back from the dead. Augustus never. These claims that everybody else was making could never be verified. Now this one comes back from the dead. And it was proof that God approves of this. That whatever's in the heaven, that great mystery that everybody has a different idea about, 
this one has survived death somehow, mm. has been brought back, and he's the victor. Um, the promise is real. This confirmed to the people that this is what, what he's saying isn't just talk, it isn't just ideas, but it's reality. And it led to the conviction that started uh, a huge phenomenon, which is Christianity, that has two, two billion people around the world convinced do you think, of. Do you think that the average person in the Roman Empire hearing the gospel preached, you know, and the written gospels preached in the first millennium or the first century, do you think they would have like had an awareness of this language in a way that we don't? We hear the word son of God, we hear the word, you know, the peace. I mean, even like the beginning of mass, you know, the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. We don't think, you know, that is like subversive language over the whole logic of power, which dominated first century Roman rule mm-hmm. to say it's it's through the powerlessness of the cross. You know, we we just kind of mumble off our next line and with your spirit or and also with you if we haven't been to mass in a couple of years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you think that the, do you oh, think I in think the first it, century they, they would have lot of sense they would have really been like whoa I mean there would have been like a real force in the yeah for the, uh, you for had the, the conviction of the faith all these people who who converted who lived and died for it mm-hmm. who um, it, it 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 exploded it expanded mm. very widely and quickly and uh, the only explanation I think is that it made sense to a lot of people. And in their own experience, they were saying, well, in spite of the fact that this Roman Empire claims a lot of these things, they just can't, they can't you know, pay off. You know, mm-hmm. the, the claims don't hold true. Plus, Rome had this whole thing about like hierarchy, social hierarchy and everything that Christianity just blew out of the water. Mm-hmm. You had slaves, you had um, all kinds of like kind of anybody, rich and poor were in there. You had uh, people who were educated, people who were not at all, and everybody's kind of on the same, mm. you know, on the same level with this Christian society. Um, and it was, yeah, it was compelling. It was obviously compelling. History has changed. Um, I do think there are some analogies for our own, you know, our own time that can make sense of these things. You look at the world. If you look at the news, you say there's instability throughout the world, and what the world says is. The only way to to uh, bring order to this world is going to be the the rule of power. Right. We need to figure out how to politically figure, you know, like control these things, either through diplomatic dialogue or uh, through you know exertion of power. Uh, but whatever it is, if you look at the world now, you say this is unstable. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure. I'm convinced that politics can solve this thing. There's wishful thinkers. And there has been forever, but the fact is that there's been war forever, and there's been unrest, and politics can't really save it. We can't save ourselves. I do think that allows us this sort of conviction that we still need a savior, and there's a different way. The whole, the whole concept of life and how to, order, how to order life in society and how people could live in harmony has to come... <laughs> Our mic stand just broke. Yeah. Wow, that just broke off. Okay, sorry. We'll get the duct tape out. Sorry. So continue. I do think. Sorry. I mean, I think it has perennial relevance. Dramatic effect. So I don't want to make it sound like, yeah. unless you know a ton of stuff about Roman history, you're not going to understand Jesus, because uh, some of these <laughs> terms um, are just 
yeah, there's what people want. Salvation, yeah. good news. Um, we're, we're looking for a son of God for, for the, the, the incarnation. You know, we want God to be with us. We want to know God. We want to be with God. Yeah. I'm struck by the, uh, um, the line that Christopher Dawson, great historian, um, said where he says when, because he always, he always kind of ties together religion and politics because there is something about that. You know, you go to somebody's house for dinner and that's the two things you don't talk oh, about. Yeah. You don't talk Taboo. about religion and politics. But there's, there's an intimate connection between the two. And Dawson says, in a world that has rejected religion, everything is reduced to politics. Mm. And that's kind of the Roman world was the religious piety. and the, Excuse me, the religion was subservient to the state, you know where you have the Senate, like you told me today at lunch, they vote on who the gods are. You know, the priests propose it, but the Senate just determines who they are. And mm-hmm. so, sorry, I'm holding this like this. <laughs> John Minto, I'm really sorry. I just broke your mic stand. Oh, if you just take the, take the mic out take of that. Take it out. All right, we'll put you can you hold down. it. Free flow. Free flow. So the, uh, um, yeah, just thinking about the relationship of that, There, there's, I've never thought too much on this, but there, there's something really intimately connected between the, the political and the religious dimension in the Roman world and this language of propaganda that gets appropriated from the tradition, from the Jewish uh, tradition and the history, uh, and being fulfilled in that simultaneously while challenging the highest and most kind of perfect, um, if you think about it, political structure there's ever been in history. I mean, has there ever been a time like Augustus Caesar, where there, the whole world was dominated under one political form, everybody, the world was at peace because everything was dominated, you know? Yeah, or that and, claim could be made. Or that claim could actually be made. There's no way it could be now, you know? Yeah, um, well, people had that dream for a while. I mean, the Persian Empire um, was pretty extensive, and, yeah, it's. I think it's a perennial hope of human beings to say, uh, we could figure it out and we can all... Um, be tamed, right? But then you you end up resenting the one who's taming you, and right. that's, I mean, ultimately these things fell apart. And part of that is just people will kind of go along with it for a while, but it's not peace. You say it's peace, and it's not peace. And I think that's a lot of like how this kind of rhetoric works, and what people are longing for is more. Can I ask you a another tricky exegetical question? N.T. Wright, great British. Um, historian, exegete, whatever you want to call him, he wrote a book called uh, Jesus the and the Victory of God, mm-hmm. something like that. Yep. And I think the basic thesis is that Jesus was a political revolutionary. Do you buy that? What do you think? On yeah, that? I mean, his might be a little more nuanced. There are some other yeah, contemporaries who were saying some of the same things. Um, I think... Jesus was skeptical about the power of politics to bring peace to the world, and rightfully so. I don't think that's the same thing as revolutionary. There were people at his time who were like training armies right. to against the fight against the Romans, right. to bring national kind of sovereignty to, uh, to the Jews. Jesus didn't have that project, or he didn't seem to. Even the apostles were asking, oh, are you going to do this? And he doesn't seem to do that. Right. So there are these kind of reconstructions. I I think it's a bit reactive. These guys are reacting to a, 
a long, um, a whole century of of liberal Protestant theo- uh, kind of historizing of Jesus that said he was a nice guy guru who was like a rabbi Just who was some misunderstood. And, right. But the problem is that doesn't make sense of things like the, the action in the temple and why this was so revolutionary. Why he was and, crucified, yeah. Incendiary, why he was crucified and didn't put up a fight or, right. you know, why that made any sense at all. Hmm. So I think it's true to say, well, you have to recognize that Jesus was a threat. Um, but to say that he was a revolutionary, I think, lends to a misunderstanding of uh, a kind of violent program, mm. um, which I'm, you know, I, don't, I don't even think they would say that right. ultimately Jesus was. Some, some have proposed that as um, he was a violent revolutionary who failed Lestai. and was killed. Yeah, Alestai is like a, uh, a a revolutionary at the time, like a zealot. Right. So, um, last point is just kind of like a conclusion. Um, I wanted to bring up the, the issue that some of this, some of these insights, or like this comparison between Roman language and um, and the use in the Gospels, has been used to to undermine the credibility of the claims, the historical claims that Jesus was who he was or that he's the son of God or he was uh, ever claimed to be that. Um, and so it, it kind of works into this the new atheism project mm-hmm. to say, well, these apostles, these further generations of Christians invented the Jesus who we know in history by putting this kind of labels on him, son of God, savior. And then they just kind of start spinning these ideas. Um, and I'm, I want to uh, recognize that, yes, the same language is being used, but um, ultimately, I think it, it, if you pay attention to the, the writings of the New Testament in their context, you can tell that this is not a... a a program, programized theology trying to convince other people of this theology as much as it is passing on the message that Jesus had, which was a different kingdom is coming. Right. And that, um, that God, who is king and is going to reign through his representative of, of Jesus, is, uh, is present in the world. That this is, this is right on the verge, that there's an imminent inbreaking of all of the promises that God had made for a long time. Um, and this is what the language is used to appeal to. It's not to invent a sort of God-man. Um, and so these, these claims can kind of be used to poo-poo the, um, the, the whole kind of Christian origins. Um, but I, at a certain point, you have to just recognize that this is, um, it's not likely to have played out the way it did if this was a clever invention of a second generation. Right. Certainly not with the sophistication that we see already in the New Testament. Um, this is amazing stuff. And this, if, that, if, if that theory was right, that they were inventing this stuff, and that this theology, these ideas about Jesus, that would take hundreds of years to come up with this kind of clever system of uh, Jesus being related to God in this way and, and offering this kingdom vision. 
Um, all of the recipe was there. Um, it was timely. And then um, Jesus made sense of that for people. Um, it, he, he was like, uh, John's gospel uses the logos, this sort of blueprint, that God had this huge plan for history, and then Jesus was that. Mm. You know, He made sense of the whole thing for people. And they're reflecting on him and the very reality of who this guy was and um, how amazing it was. I mean, it, if, if you're trying to communicate something from that side, if you will, you could see it would be very difficult to, um, to kind of make sense of in, in, in the world. And I think this is the brilliant scheme of God. Um, and I think that's the Christian claim for, you know, always has been. So I don't mean to, I certainly wouldn't mean to um, give ammunition to people who are doubting. And some people get nervous when you bring up comparisons with the pagan right, world. Right. But it's not to say, oh, no, they just, you know, they think that Jesus is a, a god like the pagans thought of um, Augustus as the son of God. There is a very different concept, but they this is the closest analogy, and it was helpful to make sense of it to other people. I think that's a good final point, just to say that the you can take that approach and just say, yeah, it's just a politicizing of the, the Gospels, and it's all propaganda, and they just picked up what was kind of fashionable at the time. Or you can say, no, there was something true in it, it was a preparation, and that Jesus was the fulfillment of that, you know, and that it's it's not contrary to what's happening historically, but Jesus comes in at a particular time in a particular empire, and everything kind of unfolds accordingly, and he fulfills that, which is kind of already kind of in the air, so to speak. So, yeah, well done. Yeah, it's it's fun stuff. Uh, I can... I can send you resources, primary resources, primary resources for all you nerds who are into this stuff. Well, uh, it's but now you know a little bit more. When you hear about this stuff in the in the mass and in the readings, uh, you'll have a little bit of context. I remember reading a Ted Shree book on the Gospel of Luke, the first couple chapters where he talks about this. Yeah, in a very popular form. I don't know if you if you know what I'm talking about. I forget the name of it. I mean, this stuff is out there. It's been but, out there for... But it, it might be helpful. It's just... I think it's really... It was more it's, popular it's, about 100 years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's very interesting, though. So... Good. Well done, my friend. Shout outs. Shout outs. Can oh, I fire... I already made mine. I'll fire so off a few here. Mark and Carolyn. Okay. Shout out to Austin and Lauren Seaback who visited oh, us. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And Alexa. How'd that turn out? Uh, we don't know. But, we still don't know. But we're going to give a shout Austin, out. Austin, you got to get back to us. Austin, we, I really wish you would have got back to us. So a shout out to your either fiance or to a terrible, terrible situation in Santiago, Spain, where she said no. This and, is uh, a romantic friend of ours. But we think who, it probably went well. And then Kelsey, who's Lauren and, uh, and Alexa's roommate, who actually listens to the podcast. Oh, yeah, right on. So Kelsey's going to get this. So thank you. Whitney Lyle, the best. Oh, yeah. She wrote in. She said, first of all, so excited you met the Pope. Gosh, what an incredible blessing. Three exclamation points. The only person who gives three exclamation points is my mother and Whitney. They're kind of similar. Second, uh, and then she said, blah, blah, blah. My clinic supervisor texted me and said that uh, in Indiana, she listens to the podcast. Her name is Anna Wiesenforth and her husband. All right, Anna. She's put up with me as a student at Riley Children's Hospital grateful if you would give her a shout out okay so anna thank you for listening to the podcast yeah yeah and your you're cool as well. if you're friends with wit if you're friends with wit you're friends with us 
I got a really nice letter from a girl named Caitlin uh, Leone. Father Ken oh, Leone. Yeah, Father Ken. Probably not relation, but she's at Leone, uh, Leo, Loyola University in Chicago. And it was just a very wonderful letter saying, thanks for the podcast. So Yeah, right on. She sent it through a seminarian. I don't know how it got here, the knack, but I think she realized that uh, it's not going to make it otherwise. So so, anyways, greet, that was... Greet one of the Jesuits for me. Which one? Well, any of them. All of them. <laughs> just say hi. And then I had a uh, cup of coffee with uh, Christine Arena and her friends, and uh, they were wonderful. This was the guy I told you about. Uh, so Jesse and Jordan, um, and then Richard and Christine, both kind of, I think Richard and Christine, a couple of years they've been married, and then Jesse and Jordan. Jesse was the guy who, who took his girlfriend and drove across the country on a motorcycle. I think a Triumph. I better get that right. What, is that, that's the motorcycle? Triumph, Triumph I think. To Alaska and then asked her to marry him. Oh yeah, it's cool, man. Yeah, it's ballsy. I like this stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, you gotta so go for it. She said yes, so there we go. But they, uh, they're all part of this group, uh, and I said I would give them a shout out. Uh, it's the adult Catholic group in Richmond, uh, Richmond, Virginia, but also in particular they're theater people. So check out uh, richmondcatholictheater.com. They're doing some really good stuff. They did like the. Uh, John Paul II's jeweler shop and these different things. Oh, so cool. Kind of a cool Keep it up. Cool yeah, thing. we enjoyed, love the arts. Enjoyed a cappuccino with those guys passing through town. And then Kate Davis, you're the best. Parishioner from mine at St. Tom's and Crazy Boulder. She sent us a photo of Sour Patch Kids because as a good Boulderite, she could never actually send us something so bad for us. So there you go. I thought they were making like organic ones now. Yeah, if they get like quinoa flavored Sour Patch Kids, I'm sure that Boulder will send it. Hey, to us. I want to shout out uh, Thomas Dean, uh, Thomas who sent Dean. me a really nice letter. Thomas, and I'm probably making all your siblings jealous, but uh, thank you. That was that was very sweet. I, I loved it. I'll be writing back soon. And then um, the uh, those who listen at the military bases here in Italy, we've had a couple oh, requests yeah. To, yeah. to come and hang out, and I don't think it's going to happen before the end of the, or uh, you know, before summer comes. And we go back to Denver this year. But uh, thanks for listening. You're wonderful. And uh, look forward to seeing you before long. Huh? Look at you growing up. You got your shout-out list. Oh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I got to write it down next so time. So condescending, huh? I know. So anyways, we love, we really love hearing from you. And we know we're not always the best. And our buddy Tim Tim Danaher, now Deacon Tim Danaher, helps us out with that. Uh, but we, we really appreciate hearing from you. And uh, so Catholic Stuff Podcast. At God G- bless you all. Have a wonderful summer. Yeah, wonderful summer. We'll catch you next time in Denver. Probably, we'll probably with uh, together, those yeah. wild priests, uh, Olaf and uh, his lordship, the Gobel. Oh, man. We it's can't a dream. Wait. Can't wait. It's going to be great. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care. Ciao.